This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Charlie, it's been so long since I've seen you. It's been at least five minutes. <laughs> yeah, about five minutes. Almost exactly five minutes. <laughs> I, I forgot to um, tell this story uh, in the last episode, but I just remembered then. So uh, uh, I've got this great setup where I've got this office. It's really close to my apartment now, and so I share it with these two other ladies, designers. So I've got my little office space and a desk and everything. And uh, I normally take my lunch over i'll pack my lunch and then i'll take it over with me and i'll eat it at my desk and uh i got to the office on monday and one of the girls had had a dinner party in the studio on the friday night and she was like i just um need to ask a question she's gone we went to get the cutlery and all the forks are missing do you know what happened to them and i was like no that's weird i said sometimes you know i'll eat my lunch at the desk and i may have taken one home i'll just go and check because you know just across the road so I go up to my apartment fully expecting to find like one or two forks. There are two dozen <laughs> forks in my cutlery drawer that over like the Shawshank Redemption, over two months, I just very patiently took a fork with me until I had their entire cutlery set in my drawer. And I was shocked. It was like, it was like Memento or something where I was going through the drawer going, Who, whose drawer is this? Why are there so many forks in this drawer? And so I gathered out all their forks. And then had to go back into the office and it's like, I know you're not going to believe this, but I have every single one of your forks. And it was an accident. I honestly had no idea that I was stealing a fork every time I went home. Well, that would be hard to believe though. If you're those other people, you've got to think that you're some sort of weird kleptomaniac. I mean, that's exactly what I thought because I, I, I sort of, I tried to explain like, you know, what my process is. But the way she was looking at me, because I was like, you know, I'll get my lunch and I'll eat it and then I'll leave it next to my computer for a bit. And then when I go home at night, I normally clean it out and I just obviously forgot to put it back in the drawer. But she was doing that kind of nodding but not speaking. Like, Mm. you know when someone's reading you, looking at body language, are there any tells? So I know when she's gone home to her husband and their kids that they're like, you know that guy who's renting that desk in our studio? <laughs> you won't believe what he's been up to. Well, the other thing is, I reckon they must have noticed it before there was no forks at all left. Because if you had a dozen forks, and then suddenly you were down to, say, half a dozen forks, you start to notice that where are the forks. Well, not necessarily, because often they will go out for lunch. They'll go to one of the, the, the cafes, whatever, for lunch. So it was only when she was doing this dinner party thing where they had all these people. So I said to her, like, like, what happened at the dinner party? Like, and she said, well, luckily a friend of hers had done the road, so she had to call Soup her. and ice cream. That's, <laughs> all, that's all people got. Well, that was the other thing I was thinking is like, thank God, you know, it's still kind of hard to explain why I stole every fork. But if I had been stealing spoons, just say I ate soup for lunch every day and then all their spoons have gone missing, that creates a whole other series of questions, doesn't it? Yeah, well, either you're a heroin addict or you're a guy who's playing spoons on the street for loose change. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told the story before, but I lived with someone. I had a housemate whose uh, partner was doing heroin at the time, and I was so naive to it. I kept going to get, like, you know, uh, cutlery out of the drawer, and it's like, oh, all the breakfast spoons are bent. And then one day I was cleaning up i was vacuuming and i found a bag brown paper bag filled with needles and so when my housemate came home i said to her look you know 
I don't want to be like heavy or anything, man. But you know, I found this uh, bag of needles, and she's like, "Oh yeah, no, I'm a diabetic." And I was yeah. like, oh, "Okay, cool, no problem." <laughs> like I was so willing to accept that truth. And then I had dinner with another friend of ours, and I was telling her, and she just looked at me, and she's like, "You fucking moron!" <laughs> like she doesn't have diabetes. Also, you live with this person, so you probably saw her eating stuff all the time. All the time. She shouldn't have been eating if she had diabetes. <laughs> I think you're missing the point. I wanted to accept what she told me because it was easier than the truth. Um, what I love about that also is that you were probably using those same breakfast spoons because you were so naive. So probably for about three months while you were having <laughs> breakfast, you were doing tiny traces of heroin. Yeah. <laughs> That's why for three months afterwards, you had to actually have methadone uh, with your cornflakes in the morning just to get off it. I was working in a video store at the time and I kept stealing <laughs> yeah. video, the video plays from work. I don't know why. Just compelled to do it. Um, yeah, it's interesting the fork thing to me because it's also interesting to me that you didn't notice that you had a dozen extra forks. Well, you know what? In retrospect, I did notice that there were more forks, but I didn't put two and two together. I did notice it's like, oh, I'm, I was starting to have to put the forks down different ways because if you all put them down like, you know, spiky ends, it builds to a, a, an angle, do you know what I mean? So you had to s sort of turn half the forks around so it would fit in the drawer. And I was doing yeah. that most nights because I do the dishes at my place. And I was like, ah, oh, it's getting harder and harder to shut this drawer. It's taking me four and a half hours to do the dishes and I can't tell why. I've had to lay all the forks in the, in, in the, the forks in the 69 position and I still haven't realized that I've been incidentally stealing forks. But I now live in fear, Will that something else is going to go missing from that studio. And who do you think is going to be prime suspect? Yeah, well, absolutely you are because you already have a record, like for stealing a fork at a time. But I could have, if I had actually stolen the forks, I could have just denied it. Like why? It wasn't like she had so much evidence on me that I, I was feeling the hate. I went over and voluntarily brought the forks back. Don't you think if I was a true cutlery thief that I would have just denied it? I mean, I guess so. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, what other possible situation or scenario would there be for the forks to go missing? Uh, I don't know. There's, um, they all have kids. Maybe their kids have come in and stolen them to sell for drugs while they're not out stealing bins or yelling out the front of my burger shop. <laughs> Look at you. You're like, I don't think I'm an old man. The first person you blame is teenagers, even when it's you. <laughs> It's probably you having all those parties in that cave down the road from you. You're probably <laughs> blanking out, forgetting that you're doing bulbs. It's all the nangs you're doing. You hardcore nanging, <laughs> like drinking all these beers, leaving them around in a cave for yourself to discover the next day. You probably stole your own bin. That's what we'll actually find out. There'll be they, they'll finally get video footage from some nearby shop, like the woman yeah. who runs the news agency, who's already been driven mad by your fax scheme. Checks her like surveillance sort of camera that she has out the front and she sees you in like some sort of sleepwalking state putting your bin inside somebody else's house and bringing their bin and putting it out the front of your house so i'm getting just nanged out of my mind and yeah. then like this alternate is there an alter ego is it like fight club where an alter ego takes over or am i just doing it in a daze yeah yeah it, no it, it, it absolutely like in fact you haven't even got fitter right like like, this is all in your mind. You've just been yeah. doing so, so many nangs that you think that you got really fit for a men's health thing and that you're like you're this guy now who's like, you know, super fit, like looking after himself. I haven't left my bedroom in six years. <laughs> I'm just one of those morbidly obese people that they have to take the wall out of the house to get out. <laughs> but, dude, I get the best nangs. I get a giant canister of nang delivered to me each week. <laughs> <laughs> you started a thing called Nang Club, but the reason you can't remember it is the first rule of Nang Club is that you you can't tell anybody about Nang Club, but it's fine because no one remembers because of all the Nangs. I mean, I don't know if I've got a problem with Nangs, but I just uh, went to my Zoom and last night I recorded a, a single called Nang and Tough. <laughs> oh, we're Nang and Tough. I mean, only someone on Nangs would take the time to record a single in their Zoom, right? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, 
I was going to say, I often leave the house with a spoon in my pocket. I think I might have talked about this before as well, but often I'll use a teaspoon to open a beer or whatever. And if I've got like a jacket on, what I end up doing is like much like a cigarette lighter, I'll put the spoon in my pocket. And then if I just pick up that jacket to wear it another time, I'll often find myself out of the house in public with a spoon in my pocket. I love that because you're kind of like the pacifist version of a Boy Scout or something. It's like, oh no, you're like Batman. Like, I don't use blades, man. It's like, it's not that you don't use guns, you don't use blades. Yeah, I'll solve your problems, but I'll do it with a, a blunt instrument. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm a Doctor Who, but my sonic screwdriver is just a teaspoon. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's another character you, in your universe who kind of walks between both worlds. He carries a spork around. <laughs> so, generally, it's a blunt instrument, but it can be used to poke things. He's like the blade, ironically, of your world. all right should we get back to woody harrelson facts yes sorry so what didn't we complete from the last episode we needed to firstly which person has appeared as themselves the most in movies did we work that out hey you know what michael cut this bit out and put it at the end of the last episode hey guys uh we're going to be doing a new episode next week and if you can guess which actor has appeared as themselves the most times in movies and tv You'll win a Tofop sticker book. Write down your answers to our Facebook page or Twitter and Mike Hell will sort it out somehow. (laughs) 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 All right. So pick it up again. So we ran a competition last week, Will. (laughs) (laughs) that that just for the people at home if it feels like we just stopped down the podcast because charlie had the idea to run a competition and then recorded a bit to put at the end of the last episode without any real details of how the competition would work and just went (laughs) mike hell will sort it out and it's after the music at the end so to be honest maybe nobody even heard it but charlie were we inundated with entries to a competition that you just i mean what was even the point of that because you were like this was what you put at the end of last episode that we just recorded right then, which was, uh, hey, if you can guess which character, uh, which person has appeared as themselves the most in movies, you can get a Tofop sticker book. A, yeah. that would work if we had a week where we could now be reading out the <laughs> answers. I didn't even but, think of that. But we don't because we're recording these in a row. You've literally told people to do something for a week later, but we're not going to be there, Charlie, to receive that content anyway. Because we're in the past. This is in the past. When people are hearing this, this is the past. So we can't possibly know what your answers are. So also, it's just something that they could Google in the exact same way as we would have had to Google it. So, So... Oh, this is the worst idea ever. And the best part is when this comes out, all these people will have discovered this. So like, I don't even know what the reaction has been. Mike, I'll make sure that does got the end of the previous episode because this could be the greatest TOEFOP clusterfuck of all time, a competition that can't possibly be entered or judged. Oh, yeah. It's one of those things where people will have entered it and they will go, oh, great. The new episode's out. I want to see if I won the sticker book and I got it right. And we can in no way give them the answers of whether they did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're crazy like a fox, Will. Um. Charlie, I was listening to one of my favourite podcasts uh, the other day, uh, the Jackie and Laurie show, uh, which is uh, Laurie Kilmartin and uh, Jackie Cation. And it's a a really great podcast. I I absolutely love it. I had that moment where I was almost mentioned on one of my favourite podcasts. And Mm. they, so in this same way, they became so close. I I listened to the whole episode because... Uh, Jackie talked about the fact that she was on a list, Forbes magazine, uh, Meryl Barr, who uh, Meryl, who listens to uh, th- this podcast and uh, is a really uh, fantastic comedy writer and television writer and writer in his own right, uh, did a list for Forbes magazine of uh, sort of five veteran comedians who deserve their own Netflix special. And he was kind enough to put me on that list and uh, with a bunch of really funny people like uh, Laura House, who's... Uh, you know, who we both love and is, uh, been uh, did the live show with us at LA Podfest and has been a regular on Fofop. And uh, anyway, Jackie and a whole bunch of 
a really funny people. So it was a it was a really nice list. And so they talked about the list and you know they yeah joked about it a lot and i was like oh my god this is this is so fun i'm about to get my name mentioned oh, no. on one of my favorite podcasts and then they never went through the other people on the list and i was like ah, ah so close i was almost in it woody harrelson yeah woody harrelson so uh what did we, so did we work out who has the most cameos it's not woody no it is william shatner Michael, how many times has he appeared as, him, as himself, please? I think, believe William Shatner was the winner. Yeah, William Shatner is actually. Um, it makes that sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do they count the Halloween movies? Because, of course, the mask in Halloween, famously based on uh, William Shatner's uh, face, does that count yeah. as a cameo? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's. I, it's a cameo. Is it appearing as yourself or. Okay, it says here 402, not just film, but TV as well. But 402 okay. appearances, that's amazing. 402 appearances in anything is amazing. 402 appearances as, as yourself. yourself. Yeah, these are just cameos. I mean, that's a lot, isn't it? I wonder if they count voice acting as well. Like, I'm sure, you know, he would have done The Simpsons or Family Guy or something like that. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I don't know. Look, Charlie, we don't we don't have the time to delve into what the actual specifics of this are. All right. So we got up to uh, Woody Harrelson's father being a contract killer. Okay. So tell me about this. What do you know about Woody Harrelson's father? Well, this is an article from February 17th, 2012 in The Guardian. It's an interview with Woody Harrelson and the heading headline is Woody Harrelson, colon, my father, the contract killer. And then the subheading, Woody Harrelson plays psychopaths brilliantly. It couldn't be anything to do with his dad's day job, could it? He talks about coming to terms with the terrible truth in his new film, Rampart. Okay. Well, my dad's a farmer, but it doesn't mean that I'd be a convincing farmer in something. So, All right. This is a long article. I'm going to see if I can get the highlights. The first, he opens up. This is the journalist. I'm not looking forward to meeting Woody Harrelson. I'm a bit scared, to be honest. I've just seen Rampart, his new movie, in which he plays a racist, psychopathic police officer. Harrison, Harrelson is terrifying in it. Terrifying when he's chasing villains, bullying juniors, beating the crap out of innocents, stalking the mother of his children, is even terrifying when he's making love. <laughs> his body, especially slimmed down and muscled up for the part, pulses with attention permanently on the cusp of violence. I mean, it doesn't really sound like he's terrified by it. Sounds like no. he's turned on by it, to be honest. It's not if this is a one-off. There's his sickening Mickey Knox in Natural Born Killers. Uh... At birth, I was cast into a flaming pit of scum, is one of his lines. Deranged killer Tallas Tal Tallahassee in Zombieland. Deranged killer? Isn't he a hero in that film? Mm. In Zombieland? Can't remember the specifics. Charlie in the forthcoming Seven Psychopaths, his title says it all, and we've even barely started. Even when he plays it nice like he did in Cheers all those years ago as a dopey bartender, Woody, there's something in the goofy smile that makes you worry for his sanity and your safety. There's a lot of hyperbole in this, isn't there? Yeah, I feel like this journalist also is having trouble differentiating uh, people's characters from them in real life. Like, it would be weird if he inter interviewed, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger and it was like, so what was it like to be pregnant, like, as a man? So, uh, Danny DeVito's your twin, I hear. <laughs> no, no, no. Again, just movies. So you're a robot from the future. Again, just movies, mate. <laughs> I'll just skip ahead because there's a lot more waxing lyrical, but we, we want to get to the dad. Uh, you're the first star I've interviewed whose dad was a professional killer, I said. No comment. I tell him I recently interviewed a woman whose son became a serial killer and that she'd been suicidal as a result. He looks interested. Ah, man, that must have been devastating for her. You never really think of that shit when you hear these stories, he says quietly. He tells me a bit more about his father. I think they separated when I was seven, but he was gone long before that, in prison, away and back, and away and back. It wasn't like he was there all the time prior to that. They call him a contract killer in the cuttings, I say. Is that a glamorization or a simplification of what he did? Harrelson chews some more on the imaginary tobacco. Yeah, I mean, it's probably fair. Um, he stops. Fair job summary? Yeah, job summary. I was 11 or 12 when I heard his name mentioned on the car radio. I was in the car waiting for a lady who was picking me up from school, helping my mum. And anyway, I was listening to the radio and it was talking about Charles V. Harrelson and his trial for murder and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there thinking, that can't, there can't be another Charles V. Harrelson. I mean, that's my dad. It was a wild realization. 
Then the woman got in the car and saw my face and realized something was up. She was a very kind lady. I murdered her. <laughs> he says he went home in shock. He tried to talk to his mother about it, but there was little to say. The truth was out there on the radio and in the papers. Did your mum know what he did for a living? Oh, yeah. She was pretty hip to all that. Did she love him? Well, no. She was well out of love with him. You know, I've got to give her credit because she never really soured on us. She didn't talk negative about him. Never, ever, ever. And she could have. He wasn't the greatest husband or father, but dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Yeah, but great murderer. Well, great contract was, killer. Professional. He was, he, was, he was jailed in 1973 for the murder of a grain dealer, Sam Degilia. Degilia, Degilia. He was sentenced to 15 years, but released for, after five for good behavior. In 1981, he was given two life sentences for the assassination of District Judge John H. Wood. The first murder of an American judge in the 20th century. I feel like that. Is this? It feels like a dollop episode, right? Have they done this? I feel like they may have done this. I mean, I don't know, but like uh, the fact that he assassinated somebody, like that a does judge. take it up a level, doesn't it? As he soon as it's gone from being a contract killer to an assassin, you're like, yeah. oh man. It was in 1981 after he heard his father had been arrested for killing the judge that Woody tried to get in touch with him. He was aged 20. Were they ever reconciled? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I tried for years to get him out, to get him a new trial. Why did you think he deserved a new trial? Harrelson stops and thinks about it as if for the first time. Well, that's speculation. <laughs> I don't know he did deserve a new trial, just being a son trying to help his dad. Then I spent a couple of million beating my head against a wall. A couple of million, I say, astonished. <laughs> Easily. Lawyers upon lawyers. That's why he fucking works so much. And then there's a leading question. Do you see much of your father in you? And he says, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> For example, uh, right now I'm thinking about murdering you. <laughs> keeping bringing up all these horrible things about my life. Do you see much of your father in you? Yeah, quite a bit. I was born on his birthday. They have a thing in Japan where they say if you're born on your father's birthday, you're not like your father, you are your father. And it's, so it's weird when I would sit and talk with him. It was just mind-blowing to see all the things he did just like me, such as, well, shiving someone in the neck. <laughs> no, he said idiosyncratic things. The way he laughed, the face, it was all very familiar. Were you scared that you were so similar? No, no, he laughs uncertainly. How do you say no, no and laugh uncertainly? Give that. That's my direction to you, Will. Say no, no, then laugh uncertainly. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god wow and the oscar goes to that's the best acting i've ever seen you do that was amazing that's exactly what it was no no <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really good uh his dad died in prison in 2007 were they friends by then yeah we got along pretty good when you can't hang out and go to a pub you know what i mean it's hard hmm. well there you go woody harrelson my father the contract killer i mean the term contract killer is a uh, like the fact that contract is in there just seems weird, doesn't it? Like that you you know like that people don't really say contract killer anymore, do they? They say like you know hitman or assassin or those sort of things. You don't really hear. Do you hear contract killer as much yeah, these days? I think so. Yeah, I'd say yeah. Do you so. think there's an actual contract? Like if you're a contract killer, are you sitting down with the person who is you know? Like, because I would have thought that's the sort of thing you don't really want paperwork about. But are you getting a lawyer involved? You're like, here's the contract. If you get initial here, here, and here. Like, is the killer sending through a document uh, where the other person has to, like, you know, go through the tabs and initial here, initial here, sign here. And if you could get a witness here. And then I'll murder I the witness. <laughs> I would say you would want no trials. I'd say it'd all be an honor-based system, a handshake, verbal, nothing written down. Although, these days... Like, I wonder if you were laundering your money. Just say you were going to pay 50000 for a hit, right? But, you know, you want to maintain a facade of a legitimate business. Maybe you, maybe you could uh, lie about that expense. Say you're spending $50,000 on, you know, like uh, upgrading, a, upgrading one of your stores or something like that. So right, you but then eventually it. they might want to come in and look at like the store that's being upgraded. It needs to be another service. So like a consultancy fees or something like that. You hire an external consultant. That's right. Yeah. Private eye or, or something like that. Yeah. Something that has no tangible like uh, value to it. Yeah, exactly. Something where you can't just like, if you say we've renovated the new shop and then they go, well, this 
this doesn't look like it's been renovated. It, like there's, it's pretty easy to spot the flaw in your plan. But if you can kind of go, well, we, you know, we employed all these consultants to help us streamline our business or whatever. But how do you? I mean, I guess if you uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't put a contract in place with if someone is going to kill someone for you. There is no like. Do you pay the money up front or do you pay half up front? What if you give them half and they it's an aborted attempt? Do they get to keep that? Like, or do they get nothing? I mean, how are re- those how are those uh, industrial disputes settled? Well, I would imagine, firstly, uh, like the idea of a contract probably is null and void from the fact that you're essentially dealing with criminals. Yeah. Like a contract relies on the idea. The only thing a contract is worth is the value that a society, you know, puts on a contract, the, the legal yeah. enforcement of the contract. But if you're already killing someone, I guess you're not going to then take, like, I mean, what court do you take it to? Yeah. Like, it's not like you can go to the There's cops no and go, this person's broken their contract. <laughs> like, yeah. I killed this person and they haven't given me the $50,000 for it. That's why I was wondering if you laundered it or you, or you, or you put it under a false business or something. Whether you can go to arbitration under the guise of, oh, what we're really discussing is unpaid money for services rendered, because uh, I'm a, you know, like a, I'm a life coach or something. But what you're yeah. actually disputing is the I paid all this 20- money for consulting, and then the guy he was meant to be consulting on my behalf is still walking around alive. Oh, hang on, I haven't got this whole. <laughs> yeah, wait a I minute. Mean- <laughs> Client doctor privilege, right? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. This is a McDonald's. I'm not- <laughs> it's a McDonald's. <laughs> you meant to order, sir. This is the drive-thru. This is not a confession box. <laughs> this is my first job. Do you want a McFlurry or not? <laughs> uh, well, we have some tough correspondence to catch up okay. on. I apologize um, uh, for the how late we've been with this. We've we've had, you know, if you've been listening to the show, you know what you know what our telecommunications nightmare has been the last few weeks. With, faxes and people are still uh, sending messages saying where's the fax number gone just to make it clear uh we'll put that to bed for now um we accidentally doxed my news agent uh by giving out their number you know all with the best intentions no one did anything maliciously but uh don't fax for now don't try and find the number michael has scrubbed the internet clean yeah look i think it's one of those things where um i look we will revisit the fax at some later stage at some stage, we'll go through and make a list of all the stupid things we've promised on this podcast and see how many of them we can actually do. But at the moment, <laughs> the facts experiment, has, uh, that storyline has come to a close, at least for now. First, to for respondents is, uh, oh no, we've read that one. <laughs> Our first bit of T-mail is from James. It's from James. I keep giving people's last names out. I should stop doing that. It's from James. Good evening, William and Charles. I'm busily catching up with the past few months of TOEFOP pods, and I just listened to the one where Chuck organized a fax machine and set it up with the local shop. That's how far back, <laughs> that's how late we are with our TOEFOP respondents. Here's some time for some tantalizing TOEFOP correspondence. Close, mate. Close. I spent my Saturday night watching the end of an incredible movie, Sunshine. Have you seen this movie before? I don't think so. Either have I. I really think it touches upon what humans might have to do to save the planet. See, I seem to think that robots robots won't actively take over the world, but they will do it passively behind the scenes. I think they are slowly altering our technologies, small scale first, like not toasting our bread enough, (laughs) vacuuming one square meter of a room, or making us think our phone charger is on all night, and when we wake up it's not switched on, and you swear you did. Then they expand to big things like sending satellites and nukes plunging towards the sun in order to cause an ice age before hibernating and returning to rule the world with humans exterminated. Well, thanks for that, James. You've now just put another nightmare scenario into my brain. (laughs) I appreciate that. That can go with the other 10 or 11 ways that I think that the world will end in the next 10 years. Uh, He then goes to give us a link to the the plot for Sunshine and us to talk about it. But I say no to that. Our next bit of tough correspondence is from Tyson. Hey, Will and Charlie. Hope you're well. In the most recent episode, I bet you it wasn't, you were watching the Aquaman trailer and Will mentioned how he hates things in space and how he hates things in water. <laughs> Correct. Anyway, so far, I stand by my statements. <laughs> anyway, did you know there is a body of water floating in space that's 140 trillion times that of all the water on all the Earth's oceans? 
Oh, great. Well, you know where James Cameron's going next? He's going to develop some technology to go into space so he can film in the space ocean one of his boring movies. Avatar 5, Space Ocean. James gets back to us. He must have written this a couple of weeks later. To Colin Fop. Hey, Will and Charlie. I wish to indulge myself with uh, your responses to this tantalizing Tofop tidbit. So, I've been hooked on Survivor. And now the bachelorette, bachelorette for some reason. If you guys weren't committed to your ladies, would you go on that show? <laughs> well, uh, how do you answer? Okay. If there was a world where, you know, say multi-universe, like, you know, we're in a multiverse. And so there's a version of me on sort of, yeah, Earth X that is the Bachelor or on any reality show, to be honest. I, I watch those shows and I do think... How would I go in those scenarios? It is yeah. something that is fascinating to me to know how I would go on Survivor. Like, I love the TV show Survivor, but I'm not sure that I would, yeah, despite the fact that I've watched every episode of every series, be a good Survivor player. Um, and it's the same with, like, you know, The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, those sort of shows. Like, I do watch them with an eye to going, how would I go? How would I go if I was the person they were all competing for? How would I go if I was one of the, you know, the 24 guys who were competing for the one person? Like, I think that would be an interesting, like, if there was a game, like, virtual, that to me is where virtual reality would be interesting. <laughs> Like if they came up with the idea, then like, you know, a virtual reality machine where you can put it on and then you can kind of like, you know, live out a thing where you're the bachelor, you know, and, and as if you're in that and you believe that you're in that and then sort of play it through like as a whole. That's actually a really good idea. That would be yeah. my virtual reality game. Take something that pre-exists like Survivor or whatever, The Amazing Race, and then be able to do it in a virtual reality sense. That would get me into virtual reality. Uh, James continues, the guys on The Bachelor... So basically I'm saying I would like to do all those shows if I could do them from my house. <laughs> the guys like bickering kids, seriously, what reality shows would you love to be on? Well, you answered that. Um, I've always said that I would like to do the Big Brother house if it wasn't broadcast to the public. I'd like to do it as an experiment because I have the same interest in social dynamics and stuff. I think if I was to do The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or something, I'd be more conscious of putting on a performance... Whereas I think, like, that would be me acting. I think in the Big Brother house, I'm more likely to be myself, especially if it's not being broadcast anywhere. But then I'd like to see how it all works and how the dynamics work, you know. And it, it, when, they, when you don't know there's an audience watching you, I'd be interested in seeing how that goes. Um, yeah, well, yeah. I would like it, you know, when they take the people home for the home visits, that, like, yeah. I would like to be one of the people on your series that, like, you know, you've brought this home girl home for the home visit and I'm, like, one yeah. of the people you've invited around <laughs> to be, like, part of the family and friends who, like, quizzes them and stuff. That, yeah, I, yeah. I'd like that. I'd be up for that. <laughs> I could see you two as a moderately successful Amazing Race team or going head-to-head -head on Family Feud. I feel like you could fund your own TV channel and call it Tofop TV. Well, actually... Uh, we do have our own YouTube channel called Tofop TV, and you can go there right now to check out some Q&A videos, uh, some ep whole episodes up there, and other little shorts and stuff, and we should really do more. I mean, you and I, as like a team on The Amazing Race, like I wonder how long into that our friendship would survive. One day. <laughs> One day, I reckon. I mean, I don't even reckon we'd make it out of the first train station. Uh, hey, Will, have you found the clue to our next thing? No, but I, I found this homeless guy who reckons he can get us some weed. <laughs> uh, Brett got in touch with us and he says, Hey, Tofop, podcast virtual reality. Guys, love the show. A note about your recent discussion about VR podcasting. It already exists in a fairly big way. Mant Media here in LA has partnered up with Podcast One and has several VR casts of its shows for a couple of years now. I know this fairly well because I've worked on some of them as an art director. Um, that that uh, intonation is all mine. <laughs> it wasn't written in that snooty attitude. However, I personally would really love for a Tofop VR podcast. I'm sure that Mike Howell could figure it out. I mean... It would be amazing. Like, I love that we come up with ideas. We go, this is like a revolutionary idea. We're going to break the internet. And then someone else is like, I don't know, this has been already happening. And the fact that you haven't even heard of it means that it's probably not even that impressive. <laughs> well, Adam, who was the guy who got in contact with us, if you remember, the first guy to say, hey, this stuff is very... Uh, the original man, for you guys. Adam. The original guy, Adam. First man. Um, well, I wrote back to him and just said, hey, all right, let's tell us some more. So he's written back. He says, hey, guys. 
The type of experience you've described on the most recent episode is exactly the type of thing that's easily doable at the low end. Much like a normal video camera, the 360 cameras come in a range of prices from a couple of hundred dollars for a basic monoscopic, no-depth 3D 360 camera, right up to thousands for better quality cameras that allow you to record in 3D. Well, I, get, I know which, which end of the uh, price scale we'll be looking at. I mean, can you do it with old toilet rolls? <laughs> yeah, old toilet rolls and one of those uh, children's toys, kaleidoscope. We've got three <laughs> kaleidoscopes and two old toilet rolls. <laughs> Tofop VR. The lower range cameras are actually still quite good and it is a lot easier than you would think. Facebook allows you to upload 360 degree videos and photos and view them in VR if you have a suitable phone with VR case. Even people without VR can still view them. The main downside is the large file sizes mean videos work best when they are only a few minutes long, so it'd be more accessible when broken up into chunks. Okay, so we could do an, we could do an entire episode, but we'll release it in like two to three minutes chunks or we could just do it like you know um a special three minute as like little little episodes as an extra thing we could do the vr experience we can barely get through a movement read in under five minutes you think we can confine our ideas to a three minute little hey what kind of joy do you think we can provide people in three minutes like what would we do hit me with your ideas go well, here's what I will say about that is that we do have the the movement watchers uh who are our sponsor at the moment and the only feedback that we've got back from them is a bit less. If you could do a little less, if you could keep it to five minutes, please, your ad. <laughs> like the advertiser themselves have been like, hey, boys, just on behalf of the good people at Movement, whoa, bring it in. <laughs> uh, he gives us a link that we can check out to see how it's done. One common use that this tech is seeing is also creating choose your own adventure style experiences where users can trigger different videos to play. P.S. The Tofop adventure game sounds rad. There aren't enough going to the newsagent simulators around. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Christopher. Uh, Christopher, uh, the way he spells his name is like K-R-I-S-T-O-F-F-E-R. So I'm thinking Christopher is Scandinavian. Okay. Two. Now, this is what he's written in the subject line. Two colon tofop colon fop. <laughs> it's not quite right. It's just two colon fop, not two colon tofop colon fop. That's like a malfunctioning robot. Uh, dear tofop, I was supposed to be. This was supposed to be faxed, but apparently our fax at work is closed for international faxing? Question mark. Um, again. The fax machine has been shut down. There is no faxing. <laughs> anyway, I hope all is well and that knees and ear holes are under control. Fun- Do you have bad knees? Did we talk about you having bad knees? Ah, uh, sure. Why not? Okay. Yeah, add it, to the, add it to the list. I mean, in the grand scale of things that are bad about me, my knees are fine. But in the, you know, in general, they're probably not that good. Funny fact. Up until this summer, there was a law here in Sweden, aha, I knew it, that all authorities had to have a fax machine. You read that right. Police, courts, and social services, they needed to have a fax until 2008. Now that I have your attention, (laughs) mate, you're halfway through your your email. (laughs) You can't say, the way that works is you've got to say something really like snappy and attention grabbing, and then you go into, you don't start with a whole bloody story about faxes and your fax machine being closed and then halfway through your email, I go, now that I have your attention, like, yeah, you I may have switched off by now. You were losing our attention by then. <laughs> You've got to get <laughs> our attention right off the front. <laughs> now that I've lost your attention. Here's what I will say. Maybe the Swedes do it in a different way. Maybe we're a more instant gratification society and we need our attention service very early on, whereas maybe yeah. in Sweden they like to ease tantric. into it. It's a bit more tantric. Yeah. Uh, now that I have your attention, I'd like to tell you a little story. The end. <laughs> no. <laughs> these guys no, have Sweden. no sense of structure, these Swedes. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> now I'd like to tell you a little story. Uh, this took place many years ago as I was looking for work. 
I'd gotten an interview and I was on my merry way to the commuter train when suddenly I realized that something was very, very wrong. I started to have really bad stomach cramps. Oh, no. It got so bad, I had to disembark and have a shit in the woods. A shit in the woods on the way to a job interview. (laughs) What is one of your worst shitting experiences? (laughs) And by the way, yes, I got the job. Oh, my God. So, firstly... If I had to shit in the woods, I would then go further into the woods and bury myself in the woods. That's that's what would happen. This guy's in a shallow grave. Yeah, because I had to dig it myself to bury myself out of shame. Uh, I would be like, is this woods anywhere near an ocean that I can walk into? <laughs> Secondly, I would not continue to the dro- job interview. I'd be like, today is done. I would take that as a bad sign. I'd be like, you know what? It turns out this is the universe saying you don't want this job. That's that's what it would say to me. And that's why you're a loser, Will. Well, that's why I haven't had a decent, like an actual job in, you know, I guess 20 years. So you, I, don't I mean, have the, you don't have the grit to push through diarrhea. I mean, I, even the idea of like going to the bathroom at work is a nightmare to me. Let alone, like, okay, well, here's what I will say is that there's, it, at my job that I have at the moment, because I start early in the morning, there's not many people in the office. Uh, so realistically, the toilets are fine. It's it's almost like a, a, a personal toilet. But around sort of, you know, 8.30, you know, the office, the influx comes into the office and, you know, you know, people are ducking into the bathroom and it can be like peak hour in there. And then you're just having a range of uncomfortable conversations with people that you're in the toilet with. And it's just I hate not, that. Don't yeah, talk in not, the bathroom. Yeah, let's not. Let's all just let's be ashamed not. of this. Let's you can maybe acknowledge each other in the mirror above the sink as you wash your hands. Just like, hey. Yeah. But well, because no that's the bit where we can all celebrate that we're being clean. The yeah. first time you should acknowledge there's another person there is when you're both cleaning. Don't celebrate your filth, you pigs. Yeah, celebrate the fact that you're the sort of people who wash their hands. Imagine that nothing happened before it, that you've just popped into a room to both wash your hands together. I don't know that I would. I reckon, depending on the state of affairs, you know, once you're done in the woods... Like depending if you if you think you can straighten up and get to that job interview, I wouldn't be against it. Like you know, sometimes you have a tactical spew. Like I think this is just a tactical shit. Like he got it out, you know. As long as it wasn't too dire, I reckon I would continue the job interview. Well, but the problem with that is also that like you know, much like if you say your dog you know shits inside, you don't mm. want to immediately reward ah. them because they think that the reward is associated with the shitting. So now. I would, that, that's good luck, right? So every time I need to have a meeting with the boss, I'd be like, hang on for a second, grab a newspaper and <laughs> yeah. head to the woods. Your boss just looks out his seventh story window and just sees you exit the lobby, cross the road into the park. It's like, what's he doing? Undo your pants, just like squat, just off the footpath. Pull your pants back up, cross the road, back into the lobby. A couple of minutes later, come back through his door. All right. Let's blue sky the shit out of this meeting. <laughs> it's like, um, we've got a big day tomorrow, so I'm just going to have a couple of quick vodka and metamucils. <laughs> <laughs> Molly gets in contact. Hey, Tofop. Uh, Nota bene. Uh, it's Italian for all you, uh, or Latin. Uh, is it Latin or Italian? Be Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to send this as a fax, but following Charlie's impassioned plea to stop sending faxes, hashtag RIP everyone read facts, I thought I would send it the conventional way. I was amused to hear that Will also owns Beats headphones. So here's a little story for you. <laughs> I love the way our listeners <laughs> like tease. Here's a little story for you. It's like the way you placate a child. They know that we have short attention spans. And so it's like, here is a little story for you. Also, a- you've like sent us correspondence we're reading it out on the show we're assuming that there will be some sort of story to it yeah that's a good point i don't vet any of these i just read the heading and go that looks good i was at the uni library listening to last week's tofop on pod uh last week's tofop pod on my beats headphones while working on an upcoming essay now that can you listen to an ipod and write at the same time can you listen to words and write 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I don't. Okay. I mean, if I'm really concentrating on, <clears throat> so I have two kind of modes of writing. Um, I it was funny. Uh, I was talking about this with uh, uh, Justin and Kathleen, who's been my tour manager for like you know twenty years on and off. Uh, on Saturday night when we we're in Packingham doing shows, and that was a couple you, of weeks ago. Were you packing like, them in? It, they, we were packing them in. It was packing them out. Uh, in fact, Charlie, and uh, there was a poster on the wall because uh, I was like, I think I've played here before. And then out the back, they had put up everybody's posters on the wall out the back of the theatre. And I was there for a show called Will Communication, which was like a decade ago. And there was that moment where I was like, hang on, is Packenham the sort of place that you play twice, once on the way up and once on the way back down? <laughs> because if so, good to be back, Packenham. And uh, I was talking about the fact that for someone who has been a made my living as a professional writer, I'm always amazed when I hear about people writing for pleasure, because I never write for pleasure. Like I, I write for work, and it it feels like work. I like having written, but I don't like yeah. writing. And um, so, if I need to do bulk writing, like you know, really just get some writing done on something, I will do anything to distract me. Like just mm. put something else on that's going to keep me in front of my computer to get the writing done. But then when I actually have to get to the specifics of getting nutting out an idea or refining it or whatever, then I have to turn off. Like then it has to be in silence so I can actually yeah. like sort of engage my brain on that level. But I do a lot of the grunt work, the training, the yeah, the heavy writing, definitely with yeah something else on. For sure. I, but I, the, the reason I brought it up was, and I can't mention the specifics of it, but uh, a comedian um, is being nominated for a, an award of some kind that um, needs supporting evidence. You know, they need, you know, kind of testimonials. And so I was actually saying to them that writing this testimonial for this person who I admire uh, was the first time ever in my life that I can remember where I was writing and I was just, it was so pleasurable it was so nice to be, you know, be able to write about this person and what they meant to me and what I thought of their comedy because it required this thing for me to actually kind of wax lyrical about, you know, the influence they'd had on the comedy community and stuff like that. And and I loved it. It was just, mm. I actually had to message my manager at one stage and go, how long does this thing need to be? Because I knew already that I'd done too much. Like, you know, when you're like, I don't think they're going to read through to the third page. I think they've got the gist by then that, I, that you like this person. It's funny, I have like the same attitude to writing, like it's very much a job and I have to sort of like block out hours and give myself little rewards and stuff. But I worked on this web series this year, I wrote and directed this web series where because of the actor's availability, I had literally like three days to pull it together and this actor's really great. So when we were discussing the idea, we had this agreement that I'll just put down some ideas, but you're going to ad lib, feel free to just kind of like freestyle on it. So I basically wrote six five-minute scripts, so literally a pilot in two days. And because in my mind, mentally, I was like, oh, it doesn't matter what I write because he can fix it up or we can change it on the spot, so just get it all down. So I wrote for the first time with complete and utter freedom, like I wasn't judging anything, just anything that was coming out. And was so and like punched these scripts out, got to set, gave them to him, and he was like, yeah, these are great. I'm not going to change anything. And I was like, what? And it was – I realized that the psychology of it, because I had not – been trying to craft the perfect sentence or the perfect line or whatever i just had to get it done and i had just sort of allowed myself to enjoy the process and throw everything against the wall because there's nothing can be wrong it can be saved and it works so much better so now i'm trying to recapture that thing it's like well what if there's zero consequences to what you create what if you don't have an audience in mind what if you just write what what's in your head right now but yeah it's funny i just had a really similar experience I think that's why I liked, um, you know, I've spoken about on the podcast before, but this show that I've been doing this year about the arrests is because I didn't let all those other things about what the show should be or, you know, like, you know, uh, like if I'm writing at the moment about <clears throat> the end of the world, you know, this new show is probably going to be a little bit about, you know, the current kind of, you know, planetary crisis that we're facing and my attitude to that. But there's a little bit more, you know, you do a bit of research and you suddenly get like, you know, lost in other people's ideas. And I think mm. that there is some value to, that can almost be prohibitive. You start to think about how something should be done rather than just going, no, 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 I'll just yeah. do it myself and tell this story how I want to tell this story. And, you know, that's yeah. where your kind of work is at its purest. But at the same time, it's it's a very hard thing to do. Well, I always, I'm also this, um, I'm like rogue from the X-Men where the last thing I've watched or read seeps into whatever I'm going to do work on. So I kind of need like a decompression 
chamber or just a period of time where I get away from the influences I've just had because otherwise I'll just start writing in the voice of whatever I've, uh, the most recent thing I've read or watched. It's kind of funny. Like you just, the conditions required to listen to your own voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, it's like the, when we first started this podcast, like the early episodes are just like if someone was like, hey, do you like Smodcast? Would you like a worse, uh, more badly? Would you like to go and see a Smodcast covers band? Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Molly's. So Molly's writing her essay, listening to Tofop. I was confused about why the podcast sounded so quiet through my headphones. So I turned the volume all the way up, and although it was still quieter than normal, I carried on listening, thinking it must have just been a technical glitch when I downloaded it. About 35 minutes into the podcast, another student storms over to where I was working, rips off my headphones off my head, and says, You know that shit isn't playing through your headphones, you wanker. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The podcast was quieter than normal because my phone hadn't successfully connected to my headphones via the Bluetooth. And so the la- and so last week's episode of Tofop had just been playing through my phone speakers at full volume for over 30 minutes in the packed silent study section of the library. In the library where, like, so loudly that she could still hear it through her beats, right? <laughs> like, so, that's imagine you're in the study bit of, like, it's weird enough that somebody's listening to our show while they're studying, but that's their own choice. Yeah. Imagine if you've gone to the library for some peace and quiet while you're studying at university and you've just had to incidentally listen to this shit. I mean, so I'm too polite to have been the student to go up, like... That student who went up obviously put two and two together, saw what was going on, saw she was wearing headphones, and then just was like, fuck it. But everyone else was like me. Because if I saw someone do something that is so kind of, what's the word, is it anachronistic? Like, it's, you know, she's in a library playing. I would assume, well, maybe she's got some, like, you know, mental problems or, you know, like, I don't want to be the guy. It's C- like certainly incense- once you heard the quality of the podcast, you'd be like, she's definitely got some mental problems. <laughs> mental problems. <laughs> Like, I don't want to be insensitive to someone's quirk. You know, maybe this is her security blanket or whatever. But this dude was just like, fuck it. I cannot hear them talk about AI any longer. But this implies to me also that this guy could have circumvented this much earlier. I feel like there's been a level of he's been listening to it for ages and he's got so frustrated that he's like, is lashed out in anger, right? Whereas if he just earlier on gone up to her and gone, I can see what's happened. I'll go up to her and say, oh, excuse me, um, yeah, yeah. you might not realise, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's not playing through your headphones, it's, it's playing out there. Like, I mean, I think that if you looked at someone with headphones on and then is playing that out loud, you've immediately got to assume that's the case. So in the same way as, uh, you know, the women in your office who suddenly didn't have any forks, <laughs> they're like, hang on, this guy that we've let share our space is a kleptomaniac. But surely the dude, so the dude who's ripped the headphones off knows exactly what's going on. So if he knows what's going on, he knows that she doesn't know. So why is he angry? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If he just dealt with it earlier, I reckon he's let his anger build up. Yeah. 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 And the frustration build up. Whereas if he'd just gone earlier, he could have approached it and circumvented it in a much nicer manner. Uh, So Molly continues, I panicked and the color draining from my face, I apologized to everyone around me. I grabbed my stuff and I ran. I don't think I can show my face in the library for at least a few months now, which is unfortunate as I still have a lot of that essay to write and I should be doing it now instead of writing to you guys, actually. Am I well, to I think, blame? I feel, like, I feel like she's blaming us for the fact that she's going to uh, well, fail university. Funny you should say that because she says, am I to blame for this utter fuck up? No, she takes responsibility. Undoubtedly, yes. But I've also just introduced another 50 potential subscribers to your podcast. They may also just hate you guys because of me now. So who knows? <laughs> Thanks I'm gonna, for I'm gonna, If I had to have a guess out of the two, I would say it's probably the latter. Yeah. Here's what I would say uh, about that, though. I mean, if you do fail university because of us, maybe you have a friend uh, and you want to start some sort of company. You know, maybe you, <laughs> you, know, you want to cut out the middleman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says, Thanks for the podcast. It's kept her sane during her friggin' law degree. A law degree. This is somebody who's studying to be a lawyer and they're listening to this nonsense while they're studying. <laughs> if I found that out about my lawyer, would you trust your lawyer? If you nah. went to your lawyer, right, and you needed to engage a lawyer, you're becoming a contract killer and you need yeah. to put a contract together and you need to engage a lawyer, you go to your lawyer 
And they go, oh my God, you're Charlie Clawson. I actually listened to your podcast while I was studying law at university. Would you be flattered by that and stay with that lawyer? Or would you immediately go and find yourself a different lawyer who didn't listen to this while they were studying? I'd say, is there a lawyer who represents the dollar per hour? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tofop, dear Will and Charlie. Long time listener, first time correspondent, RIP the fax machine, but maybe it's for the best, yeah? Mm. I enjoyed your discussion in episode 218 regarding what you think podcasters look like, judging by their voice before you see a real photo of them. I listen to a lot of podcasts and find that before knowing what they actually look like, I subconsciously assign podcasters the face of another performer or celebrity. When I first started listening to Tofop, I knew Will's face because he was famous and successful. Um, He was a famous and successful comedian and broadcaster, but I had no idea what Charlie looked like. As I listened to more and more episodes... (laughs) An image slowly grew in my mind. Charlie always sounded pretty happy, and I imagined him to be someone who smiled a lot when he talked. Uh, Well, you're not smiling right now, but as a general sort of principle, you have a puppy-like quality to you, so I'm going to say yes, that's right. He smiled a lot when he talked with a mouth full of perfect shiny teeth. Pretty much. Well, your dad was a dentist. My dad was a dentist. Uh, The down-to-earth knockabout timber of his voice tempered with a trained actor's resonance and clarity, brought to mind a fun-loving sort of... Not really a trained actor. (laughs) Self-taught. Brought that right. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Did you go to Yuck Yuck University to learn your bloody profession? No, I went to Canberra University and got a degree in something else that I don't use. (laughs) Uh, He's he's tempered with a trained actor's resonance and clarity, brought to mind a fun-loving sort of guy. Who also yep. well, you, you agree with that? Who You're also has you who also fun. has the who also has the ability to get serious and focus on a task when when necessary. Mm, yeah, <laughs> a, hu- <laughs> a, hum- a human Labrador essentially. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. You focus on the task. It doesn't mean that your completion of the task will be successful, but no. you're certainly focused on it. You brought a lot of yeah. focus to procuring a fax machine for us. <laughs> it eventually blew up in our face, but you were focused on it. Yeah, dude. Like the Joker says, the dog yeah. just wants to ca- uh, chase the guy. He doesn't know what to yeah. do if he catches it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got us we the just fax wanted machine. a fax machine. We couldn't <laughs> handle the responsibility of actually looking. <laughs> Turns out a fax machine is not just for Christmas. Bear with me, because the connection I drew may stretch the limits of even Tofop's obscure pop culture knowledge. Okay. The face that sprung up to mind when I heard Charlie's voice belonged to one of the. By actors the way, can who- I just say this? As opposed yeah. to our previous correspondents who've gone. Uh, and now I've got an excellent tale for you. I love that at least this correspondent halfway through this story says, bear with me. That's a yeah. much more tough up attitude. <laughs> now bear with me. Hear me out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't walk away. The face that sprung to mind when I heard Charlie's voice belonged to one of the actors from the short-lived Australian drama uh, Last Man Standing. Not to be confused with the unrelated American series starring Tim Allen. I'm well, here's what I will say, last man's is uh, the words short-lived uh, Australian television drama at least fit the bill. So, <laughs> <laughs> Last Man Standing was about a group of mates in Melbourne making their way through the life and love in the mid-2000s. Sort of a blokey version of Secret Life of Us. Uh, I, I believe it starred Roger Corsa, Travis McMahon, and that other actor who went to America and became like the poor man, Simon Baker Denny. What's his name? Oh, Matt Passmore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, it was one of those shows that Channel 7 stuffed deep into their late-night programming and it sank without a trace after one season. I remember finding it really funny and also quite heartfelt as a teenager. I think Marie Cardi was one of the writers. She was. She was the creator. And one of the main characters was a blonde, floppy-haired guy played by an actor named Matt Passmore. Here's oh, a go. link to the promotional shot of the show. Matt's the top guy on the left. It was not until you guys started mentioning Charlie's photo shoot for Men's Health that I actually got around to looking at what Charlie looked like. At first, I couldn't remember the name of the publication, so thank God, uh, thank you for making sure Charlie Clawson Buff Magazine shoot is now in my Google search history. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure the robots will use that information to process me into the correct work camp post-judgment day. As it turned out, the real Charlie is a bit shorter and of darker complexion and hair than I imagined. Yeah, because you imagined a human Labrador, and Matt Passmore is very much a human Labrador, a bit like Dr. Chris Brown, uh, the vet. He looks a bit like a human Labrador. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's actually, I mean, this is actually not that far away. Like, it's just a different <laughs> version of a part that... <laughs> Sorry, Amy just came up the stairs and just gave me the most disapproving look. Oh, because like, she caught you podcasting, dude. It's disgusting. <laughs> she caught me. She just was so ashamed. She was like, look at you doing your little pretend radio show. She looked at me like, you know, you actually have an actual radio show. Why are you still doing this pretend radio <laughs> show? Why are you? Skype? It doesn't make any sense. It's like when, you're like when Jack Black goes back to do Tenacious D with Kyle Gass. It's like... Got some feedback on Tignataro's book, apparently. <laughs> Uh, um, so you're saying Matt Passmore is a blonde version of a blonde man. I mean, I feel like that's the sort of role that you could yeah. have easily played. So I actually yes. think this is a pretty good, based on not knowing at all, I, I yeah. think th this person has actually put together a bit of a, like, you know. Profile. A reasonable profile. Uh, as it turns out, the real Charlie's of darker complexion and hair than I imagined. I think the most jarring thing was the head. His head looked too small to project the deep masculine voice I was so used to hearing. Well, you got to understand, if you're going off that men's health photo, I'd gotten down to about 73 kilos. So everything about me was kind of alien. It looked more like E.T. in that shoot than a, than a real human being. Um, I know the Australian film and TV industry is a small fish pond. My question is, do either of you know Matt Passmore? Um, I don't know him, know him, but I'd know him to say hello. I see from the IMDb that he also worked in McLeod's Daughters. I know there isn't much of a physical resemblance between him and Charlie, but they are. But are they at all alike in personality? I don't recall thinking that he was like me at all. He's a nice guy, but I, I don't think he seemed much more reserved and shy, introverted than me. Um, and final question: Do either of you remember Last Man Standing? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, me too. I remember enjoying good. it when I saw the bits of us. I don't think I saw all of it, but I saw some of it and enjoyed it. Yeah, I think saying it's like an all boys secret life of us is a, is a good comparison. Okay. Um, last message is from Jackson. Subject line, dog poop and bins. Hey, Charlie, don't question your dog poop and bin habits. You're the one on the right. Will's the crazy one here. <laughs> That's it. I will say this, Charlie, that um, today... I, uh, we went down to the park just before we did the podcast with the dogs and, uh, on the way home, uh, needed to, uh, pick up, uh, some dog poo and oh. it's been night in our neighborhood. Yes. So, uh, some apartment blocks had put out like, or, you know what? So when they put out like, you know, the eight bins from the apartment block yep. sort of arrangement and yep. I, because it is been night and because those bins are already put out on the street. I did put the dog poo in the in the bin on the way home because I felt like that was the acceptable sort of margin for error. It's a slippery slope, Will. Pretty soon yeah. it's not going to be bin night, but someone's left their bin out an extra day and you're going to be walking past and you're going, well, it's just one. It's just one. I mean, it's already a stinky bin. Is it going to make that much of a difference? Who's this mean, guy I think he is? Thinking his bin smells so great that I can't put my dog poo in. He's the one with the problem, not me. <laughs> and then I do a couple of nangs. <laughs> I throw that dog poo into that bin. Uh, Will, where can people see you if they want to see you tell jokes uh, and stuff? At the Sydney Comedy Store doing my work in progress shows that are almost sold out. So please, if you want to come and see them, book some tickets now, uh, December 7th uh, to 15th or 9th to 15th. I don't know. I can't remember. But anyway, it's on the Sydney Comedy <laughs> Festival. Uh, Sydney, so not Sydney Comedy Festival. It's not a festival. It's a one-man <laughs> festival. It's not even a show. It's a work in progress show. Anyway, I'm Will, this is not what? a comedy club. It's a McDonald's. Uh, there is a chance that I will be going to America in January. I will give you more details of uh, whatever shows I do in January in the US if I end up doing that. Uh, little negotiations around some uh, shows I might be doing at least around California and maybe some other cities uh, in January. And uh, my Melbourne Comedy Festival show, uh, Will Informed, uh, will be on sale very soon. So if you want to get in uh, early for good tickets for the Melbourne Comedy Festival, um, I will say that for Melbourne Comedy Festival, there is a huge buy early these days. So Christmas presents Ooh. and that sort of thing. So if you, a lot of the really good seats uh, to the sort of bigger shows go early these days. So if you want to get in early, do that. Does getting in early cut out the middleman? 
Uh, no, there's a middleman, uh, no. Ticketmaster or Ticketek or, you know, there's a lot of middlemen. There's so many yeah. middlemen, to be honest, Charlie. And and good. It's a good – this is a situation where most of the middlemen are actually very, very important because uh, if it was up to me to put on all the things that are necessary for me to put on a show, the show would not happen. <laughs> If you'd like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP. For any amount per month, you can support the show and uh, you'll get access to all our bonus content, including comic strips and Q&A videos and uh, e-books and, and, and behind-the-scenes photos and lots of other stuff. Uh, it's the best way to support us. We do have advertisers, but that's a fraction of uh, what it takes to sort of keep the show running. So the best way to support us to employ people is to go to Patreon. You can also go to tofop.com if you want to check out some other podcasts that we do. Uh, Will, I think you're, you're, you would have a couple of philosophy compilations out now, wouldn't you? Yeah, by now there actually probably be four out. So okay. uh, young, uh, young Michael, uh, Podcast Mike, my philosophy producer, has put together some themed episodes. So the first couple that are out at the moment when we're recording this are a comedy episode, so a whole bunch of people talking about comedy, and then there's a mental health episode, a whole bunch of people talking about mental health, but there's various themed episodes coming up, and there's going to be some new episodes. There may even be a new episode by the time people are hearing this with uh, Peter Hallier <laughs> because he has an excellent new well, show let's, on. Let's, let's run a competition. If people can guess yeah oh sorry if people can guess who the guest is and they'll get a sticker book <laughs> and we'll announce the winners in now last week's episode <laughs> i'm charlie clausen i'm will anderson This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.